Good afternoon. It is a blessing to be here today. I, I'm not going to make too much of an effort today to speak uh, very dynamically or, or eloquently. Uh, not that I ever achieved that very well anyway. Um, but I, I, I want to be very precise with some of the things that I say today. Uh, and so I, I may more so be reading from my outline. I hope that won't be a distraction to you. In just two days, our nation will be counting up votes to determine who is going to be our president for the next four years, as well as who is going to be filling a variety of other national uh, and state offices. Political activism is not the mission of the Lord's Church. Jesus did not come as a political revolutionary to promote democracy or free market capitalism or any type of earthly culture or agenda. His mission was not to change the political landscape of the Roman Empire. His mission, and our mission, today is to transform the hearts of men and women with the gospel. And within whatever governmental or cultural framework we find ourselves to promote the values of a spiritual kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to turn hearts towards God and to make citizens of King Jesus. However, that doesn't mean that Christians should entirely remove themselves from politics or be unconcerned about the direction that our nation is going. We shouldn't think that we can simply compartmentalize our lives and keep our religion over here and our politics over there, uh, and that they're not going to in any way affect one another. The governmental and cultural framework that we live in may have a profound effect upon the morality of our society and the challenges and opposition we face in doing the Lord's work. So how should we handle that? How should we as Christians handle seasons such as this, where our country uh, is greatly divided politically. I think the most important thing that we can do regarding the political future of our country is to pray. And today I want to talk about some biblical principles we should consider as we think about politics in our nation. Uh, but my primary intent is not to advocate for people to vote one way or another. My hope is that we can refocus our attention on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who rules in the kingdoms of men and bestows power on whomever he wishes. My hope is that we as Christians can have a deeper faith in the power of prayer than in the power of the, the voting booth. And that we can allow God's word to inform and fuel our prayers today and asking for his mercy, his wisdom, his guidance, and his intervention on behalf of our nation at this time of great political division confusion and turmoil. I want to pause three times during our lesson today and ask uh, for Rick, Jason, and Carl that I asked beforehand to, to lead us in some prayers for our nation, for our society, uh, and for our, our government. I want to start about talking about praying for our society. Proverbs 4, uh, Proverbs 14 rather, verse 34 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. 
The prosperity and well-being of this nation is not ultimately about our economic and immigration, environmental, or foreign policy. It's about our morality. Are we standing within the will of God? Nations do not ultimately come to power because of human wisdom and strength or innovation, but because of divine providence. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, God tells Nebuchadnezzar, the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and gives it to whom he will. God brought the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans to power, not because of any righteousness on their part, certainly, but they were all ultimately judged because of their unrighteousness. When they had served God's purpose, he tore them down just as quickly as he had brought them up. We see him within the scriptures judging Sodom and Gomorrah for their unrighteousness. The Egyptians, the Canaanites. And he can judge the United States in the same way if we don't repent of our immorality and turn to him. As we approach an election, as a nation of elected leaders, our political candidates in many ways reflects the values of our society. When we see the corruption, sexual immorality, dishonesty, vulgarity, and disregard for human life of those in politics, we are seeing a reflection of ourselves. And that's scary. Many have felt forced in recent elections to support what they perceive as the lesser of two evils. But in doing this, if we're not careful we can end up minimizing the seriousness of these sins. Sin that God says he abhors. Sin that separates people from the Lord. Things that at one time would have been scandalous enough to be the undoing of any political candidate are now seen as commonplace. That's just politics. That's how society is nowadays. After all, we're not electing a Bible class teacher. Brethren, how wonderful would it be if we could elect as president somebody with the type of character that we would look for in a Bible class teacher? If we truly believe that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people, then we ought not to think that character doesn't count. Uh, when I was growing up in the 90s in elementary school, we were constantly told character counts. And yet if we're not careful, we might not truly believe that. When we normalize sinful behavior so much that our elected leaders are models of the worst kind of corruption and immorality, our society is in grave danger of God's judgment. Brethren, we need God's mercy as a society. We need God to help bring us to repentance, regardless of who is elected. The passage that Christopher just read for us in Daniel chapter 9 shows that Daniel prayed for God's forgiveness for the sins of Israel. And you think about the context there. Daniel is a whole other generation removed from the, the sins that had taken them into captivity. But Daniel didn't say, uh, you know, well, that happened a long time ago. Well, I wasn't involved in those sins. It was somebody else. 
And Daniel didn't say, well, I, I don't want to speak ill of Israel, because after all, we were founded on Jehovah as a nation. Daniel said, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Brother, it is true that America was in many ways founded on some biblical principles, uh, that God created all men equal, that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights, that we are one nation under God. But brethren, we have never lived up to that. From the injustice done to the American Indians, to the transatlantic slave trade, to a modern day genocide of unborn children, we have blood on our hands, and we need God's forgiveness. And so I want to ask uh, for us to pause here for a moment and ask Rick to come lead us in a prayer for our society. Dear Heavenly Father, your Son has told us a house divided against itself cannot stand. There is such division in our society today. So many questions being asked to which we do not know the answer. I pray let us understand that these are not new questions and that you have provided the answers we need. Help all of us, your children, become better vessels for your Holy Spirit so that his light shines more brightly in the dark. Let this be done not to our glory, but to yours. Let us, by the example of our lives, be the primary witness in a world seeking the truth. Help us to live in such a way that first honors you, is of service to others, and that puts ourselves and our considerations and needs last, knowing you have already, in giving your Son, supplied every need we might ever have. We thank you that we can approach you. We love you. We trust you. Your power, your wisdom, and your will, even if we fall short in understanding that will. Let us be led by you, by your strength and righteousness in all times, in all conditions, in all situations. Let us act honorably, courteously, and with compassion at all times. We pray these things to you, dear Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen, dear Father. If you will turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Not only do we need to pray for our society in general at this time, but we need to certainly pray for our government itself. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that we pray for all people. Not, not just Americans, not just those who are of our socioeconomic class, not just those that agree with us. He desires that we pray for all, and included in that is our king's or those in positions of authority are our leaders. Whether they're the one that I voted for or not. Why is that? Why does God want us to pray for our leaders? It says there in verse 2, we are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In the past, reading this passage, I, I generally uh, had seen this as a prayer for a peaceful and quiet circumstances that we might be able to live godly and dignified in a less challenging environment. But I'm not entirely sure that that's what's being said here. Elsewhere, elsewhere this word quiet in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11, and in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, is used to describe our character, the character of our lives, the character of our hearts, not our outward circumstances. And so I wonder if perhaps what we're seeing here is that he's saying that we need to have this type of prayerful attitude even for our persecutors so that our lives might reflect a peaceful and a quiet character and be godly and dignified in every way. We need to pray for our rulers, not just for our sakes, but for their sakes. And for the sake of all those around us in society, because that type of attitude will reflect the character of God who desires all men to be saved. Remember in context here that the ruler, the king that Paul would have been referring to, was Emperor Nero. The one who impaled Christians and lit them on fire in his garden. The one who later on would be the very one who beheaded Paul the Apostle himself. We need to pray for men like that. Because God desires all men to be saved. But there's also a sense in which we can pray for our rulers out of a concern for the well-being of our society and how their leadership will affect us. I'm not sure if that's the primary point being made in this passage, but we do see that concept elsewhere. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7, as here the Israelites are in exile in the land of Babylon, a very corrupt and ungodly nation, he tells them in Jeremiah 29 and verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. We also see this concept in Proverbs 29 and verse 2. We're told, When right, the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. We can pray that those who come to power will uphold policies and pass laws that do not cause God's people to groan under persecution, but to prosper in peace unhindered in proclaiming the gospel. 
you know, if those Israelites that Jeremiah was writing to did in fact seek the welfare of the city, did in fact pray for their rulers, perhaps it was some of those prayers that caused God to intervene in humbling King Nebuchadnezzar and causing him to see that it was not he who had the power, but it was God who ruled in the the kingdoms of men. As God turns him into a beast in Daniel chapter 4. Certainly, the policies uh, of King Cyrus in allowing uh, the Israelites to return from their land was an answer to prayer as well. And so whether it be Nero or Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, we need to pray for our leaders. Because God cares about them as a person created in the image of God, just like everyone else. We need to pray that God will intervene in their lives for the good of all men, for the good of his people as well. I want to ask Jason at this time to come and lead us in a prayer for our our government and our leaders. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we are praying for our country, for our leaders. God, we realize that maybe even especially in a democracy, the type of leaders that are chosen reflect the heart and desires of the people. So God, we grieve uh, the heart and desires of this people that we live among, uh, the kinds of leaders that we are choosing, the kinds of uh, things that the majority of us uh, in this country would support, would get behind. God, we We grieve the sinfulness of our nation, and we ask your mercy and your compassion on us. We ask you to be patient with us and long-suffering, to be gracious to us. God, we ask that you be with our leaders at every level, uh, in families, in churches, in communities, states, our nation. God, we need leaders who would, who would honor and respect you, who would seek your will and seek the good of those that they lead. God, we ask that you would um, humble those who lead, that they would know that you rule, that you reign. God, we are challenged by the circumstances of this virus, but we thank you for it because it shows us that... Um, the circumstances of this country are not nearly as much in our control as we would like to think, but that we uh, are under your control, your providence. God, we thank you that you uh, have shown us this and ask that you continue to uh, providentially work in this country uh, to help people come to know you. God, we ask that you would... um, work in the hearts and lives of leaders to give them conviction to follow you, help them to not be self-serving, but to seek the good of those that they lead. God, we ask that you would help our leaders, um, that you would bless them so that we can lead lives of of godliness and service to you. Uh, God, we ask that You would providentially create conditions favorable for the gospel and the 
growth of your kingdom here, uh, favorable for the growth of our families and our children, favorable for people to come to know you. But God, we ask that you help us, whatever our leaders may be, to submit to them uh, to the extent that it honors you, to show them honor to the extent that we can and still honor you, to be respectful, to be gracious. God, help us to be um, godly in our attitudes toward our leaders, uh, to be careful in the things that we say, the things that we post or or, uh, comment on. God, help us to, uh, to reflect your light in the world and never do anything that would damage your cause um, by our support or, or tearing down of one leader or another. God, help us be godly and dignified and live lives that honor you in this world. God, we pray all these things through the name of your Son and our King, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to now suggest that we pray for our nation. We are part of the greatest nation the world has ever seen. And I'm certainly not talking about the United States of America. I'm talking about the everlasting kingdom of God, our holy nation, the Lord's church. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, But our citizenship, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, as concerned as we may be about the direction of our physical nation, our primary concern and allegiance needs to be to our spiritual nation. Whoever wins the election this coming Tuesday, Jesus is still the Christ, the anointed one, the King. He is our leader. And we need to act like him. We don't serve under an elephant or a donkey or even uh, a bald eagle. As Christians, we serve under the banner of the lamb who is slain. Patriotism is not a biblical virtue. Now, submission to our governing authorities is by all means, a biblical virtue. Honoring our earthly rulers is a biblical virtue. And having gratitude for the blessings that God has given us in this country is certainly biblical. But the Pledge of Allegiance, the Star-Spangled Banner, and the Constitution are not in our Bibles. We need to make sure we don't act like they are. We should not be putting them on equal plane with the law that God has given to us. For too long, people have confused Christianizing a nation or a people with Americanizing a people. The separation of church and state was not supposed to take Christ out of our nation. It was supposed to keep our nation out of Christ. We have a citizenship that transcends any language, any culture, any government, or any political parties. And it needs to be first in our hearts. 
Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Brethren, with, with all the, the political discussion and back and forth that's going on, can we truly say that we are seeking first the kingdom of God, that that is our primary concern, that that's where our primary allegiance lies? Do we communicate more passionately and consistently to others about our political views and allegiances? Or about our spiritual allegiance? Can we truly say we are seeking first God's kingdom? Or are we more wrapped up in the kingdoms of men? I want you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Brethren, do we think of ourselves in these terms? A chosen race? A holy nation? You know, if, if somebody asks us, well, what, what, what is your race? Christian. What is your nationality? Christian. What, what is your political affiliation? Christian. That's who we are, above all else. And that's how we need to act. That's how we need to think. And I'm not saying that we should ignore racial and cultural heritages in the society around us. Certainly, Paul was very aware of the racial and, and cultural backgrounds of the people that he interacted with. And thus he sought to, to become all things to all men. But what did that mean for Paul in his cultural background? That meant that he was willing to put his cultural background and allegiances uh, on, on hold, to, to put those away that he might be able to be influential in reaching out to all people. That was one of the things that, that he counted as loss that he might gain Christ. That needs to be our attitude as well. We need to be willing to put all else behind us that we might first and foremost be Christians and that that might be first in our thinking and our words and in our actions. We need to think, start thinking of ourselves as strangers and sojourners, as he calls these brethren. It's interesting here, these brethren were Gentiles. He says, you once were not the people of God, but then you notice he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, among the nations honorable. They are here now identifying themselves as the people of God. Everything else is the nation. And there are sojourners and exiles you know, Eric and I, uh, last summer, went to Guatemala for two weeks. 
and worked with some of the brethren down there. And there was, in fact, some political turmoil going on, in fact, in Guatemala's relation to the U.S. at that time while we were down there. Uh, but, you know, Eric and I, we, we weren't really overly concerned uh, about the, the government and the policies and the laws of Guatemala because we weren't going to stay there. We were just there temporarily. Uh, we were going to be going back to our home. Brother, if we think of ourselves as sojourners and exiles, should that not to some extent be our attitude about this country in which we live? You know, that we are ambassadors of Christ. Our, our citizenship is of another nation that supersedes any physical nation. And that's where our hearts need to be. We need to be more focused on how this upcoming election will affect our holy nation than we are on how it will affect this physical nation. We need to be shining lights in the midst of political division and turmoil that Republican and Democrats alike might see the character of Christ living in us. Brethren, I don't know what the future of this physical country may be. I don't know what God is going to do. I trust that it is completely in his hands. It may be that our nation will crumble and we enter into a time of great persecution. But whatever happens, my greatest prayer is that as citizens of Christ's holy nation, we might stay true to him. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. 1 Peter 3 and verse 14, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Brethren, as we see our society become more corrupt, and as we are concerned about the direction that our government is going, perhaps it's in the darkness of persecution and opposition, that God's holy nation will be able to shine its light most brightly. But not if we're not seeking first the kingdom. Not if we have compromised and allowed ourselves to get swept up in the priorities of this world. We need to make sure that in this darkness and in this confusion, we are the kind of people that people will see hope within us. And they'll see that there's something different. And they'll want that. And we can be ready to tell them about our, our King, Jesus the Christ. At this time, I want to ask Carl to come lead us in a prayer for our holy nation. Join me in prayer. Abba, Father, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, 
We bow before you, and yet we're drawn near to your throne as your children. We rejoice in the blessing that you've given us to be known by you, to be drawn near to you through the blood of Jesus. We understand, Father, what a great blessing it is to have the comforts we have in this country. You've blessed us with a special birthright here that allows us to participate in the government, that allows us to voice our concerns and our opinions at the ballot box. We're thankful for that. We pray, Father, you'll help us to be responsible as we consider the kind of weight our voice has. We know that you've given us better things to speak of, things that carry an eternal weight of glory in them through the gospel. We pray you'll help us to be as vocal about those as we are with our opinions about the leaders of this country. But Father, we pray most that you will help us not to be as Israel of old, that forgot about you as their king, and in the end rejected you as their king in favor of men, looking to those who seem to have a certain strength or character that would be able to, to carry them through the battles that lie ahead, they were enamored with Saul, and yet he wasn't a man after your own heart. And you warned them what their choice would bring, and yet they leaned on him. Help us not to see as men see, but to look at the heart as you do, Father. We recognize that the choices we have are not perfect. We recognize that you are the one who rules in the kingdoms of men. Help us to hold fast to that. Help us truly to sanctify Jesus as Lord in our hearts so that we will have him as the defense for the hope that is in us, not some political party and not even the blessings that this country has offered us. Help us to seek truly for your kingdom, and your righteousness, Father, that all of the things that we need for this life and especially for the life to come may be provided for us. And help us in that way to be an example for those who are struggling to understand where their position is in this world and in this country. Help us to show them that there is something that's so much better. Help us to declare along with the faithful, Abraham and others, that they seek a better, that is a heavenly country, whose foundations of the heavenly city are made by the Lord and not by man. Help us, Father, to... Lean on the understanding that your word has given us that draws us to you and doesn't hold us fast to the things that are attractive in this world. Help us to understand, Father, that all these things will be dissolved and to remember what manner of persons we ought to be in holy conduct and godliness as we are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Help us to live in such a way, Father, that that is the promise that holds our hearts and guides our vote at the ballot box, but more importantly, guides our choices every day to speak of your Son, to honor him as our King, to bow before him, and to be exalted by him in the blood that he shed on our behalf. Help us, Father, truly to be a nation of kings and priests, a royal priesthood, singing your praises and exalting the sacrifice that was made on our behalf through Christ's blood. May he be our only aim. May he be our only goal.
May we truly be princes in his service as you have called us to you. Father, we thank you for listening to our prayer. We are sorrowful for our sinful participation in the things of this nation. We beg that you grant us repentance. We beg most of all that you'll bring us home where our home truly is with you for all eternity. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord, our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you a citizen of King Jesus today? Are you acting like it? Are you seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness? If not, won't you make a change? I, I hope our time and, and praying about these things has, has been encouraging and helpful to you. I, I, it is not my intention at all. Uh, to, to advocate for some uh, specific political agenda. <laughs> my, my intent is, is to bring our hearts back to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you do need to turn back to him today, if there's any way that we can help you in re-swearing your allegiance to King Jesus, we want to do that. If you've never become a citizen in his kingdom, a child in his family, you can confess your belief in Jesus as the Lord, the King, the Son of God. You can bury your old life by the grace of God in the waters of baptism and by the power of the resurrection. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. If there's anyone who needs to make some public change today, we ask that you will let us know by coming forward as we stand and sing together.